Shabbat Shalom, everyone. I'm Monty Judah with Lion of Lamb Ministries. Welcome to our Saturday morning teaching. In this program, we've been talking about, in fact, our program is entitled Messianic Teachings for Christians. There's some diversity between Messianic believers and regular folks that go to Christian church. And the differences are from a Hebraic standpoint as a verse to a Western Greco standpoint. We're covering some of those differences and what the teachings are for them. And we're doing this with as much love as we can possibly share because I'm not trying to be your judge concerning any of these, but I do want you to understand the differences that exist. And for those who have transitioned from a traditional Christian church to more to a messianic point of view, if you're, a, if you're a Christian and you're new to Messianic things, I'm hoping that this program will kind of highlight some things that you might want to consider in your faith. And for those of you who've made the transition over to Messianic, that you're confirming, you're affirming the things that you have, the decisions you've made in terms of how you're now walking out your faith. We have been talking about now for the last couple of programs specifically about one of the core issues that is the difference between Messianics and Christians. It has to do with that passage in Matthew chapter 5, beginning at verse 17, where Yeshua specifically stood up and said, Think not that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. But instead of abolishing, he had come to fulfill. Now, the Christian church, and this is historical for many centuries, they have taken the position that the word fulfill means to annul. It's completed. We're done with it. We don't deal with that anymore. And they've taken the position that Yeshua came to basically do away with the law of Moses and the prophets. That's not relevant for us anymore. What is relevant is everything that Yeshua did and the church and that the institution of the church. There's a huge problem with taking that position. Namely, as the Messiah was making this speech, think not that I came to abolish the law and the prophets. He then followed with a series of statements emphatically stating how the law and the prophets was going to remain. For example, he said, not a jot or tittle of the law shall pass away until all is accomplished. Part of what the law and the prophets talk about, not only the coming of the Messiah, but they also talk about the coming of the Messiah and establishing his kingdom. We're talking about the second coming. That has not been accomplished yet. And there's many prophecies that are in the law and the prophets that are about the end times. And those have not been fulfilled. So Yeshua is basically making a logic argument that says not, a, not any part of the law and the prophets is going to pass away or be annulled, done, done away with, diminished, until everything has been accomplished. So that's one argument that he made. Then he turned around and he said this. He said, if anyone teaches another so as to annul the least of these commandments, he shall be least in the kingdom. But whosoever keeps and teaches these commandments, he will be great in the kingdom of heaven. They just completely ignore that whole argument. The fact of the matter is the Christian teachers quite often and emphatically 
go around teaching that certain commandments are done away with. In other words, some of their argument is, well, there's a moral law and a ritual law, blah, blah, blah. They, that's their definitions, by the way. And that these aren't applied to us anymore, and they've been annulled, and, uh, as, and, and Yeshua completed those. He was the final sacrifice. So the whole sacrificial system, the temple system, isn't relevant to us anymore. And, oh, by the way, you know, we just need to pay attention to what the apostles have written in the God in the New Testament, in particular Paul and what he's written in his letters. And they take that posture and Yeshua is the one who said, looking into the future, that if you're a believer of him and you annul any of the commandments and teach another person that, you'll be least in the kingdom. My friends, according to the word of the Messiah himself, Historical Christianity and its teachers, you can expect when we get to the kingdom, they will be least in the kingdom. They will be least in the kingdom. I'm not saying they won't make it to the kingdom, but the, but the Messiah himself emphatically has said they'll be least in the kingdom. Now, I tried to in, in, indicate to you and the others that there's nobody that has come along since the Messiah and ever said we're supposed to shut down the law. In fact, there are multiple statements being made by all the apostles reaffirming the teaching of the law and the commandments and so forth. And one of the things I took you to was to Acts chapter 15, the first council of Jerusalem, in which that we had these new Gentile believers coming in through the ministry of the apostle Paul. And there's a bunch of Pharisaic Jews who believed in the Messiah who were still following the teaching of the Pharisees, adding to the commandments, which Moses said, don't do, and Yeshua took issue with them for doing it. And they're saying, well, these Gentiles are coming in. They have to be circumcised to be saved. They have to keep the law to be saved. Now, we all know that's not correct. We know that salvation has never come to anyone by keeping the law. Salvation has always come by faith. Abraham teaches this. His faith was counted for righteousness. We know paradise is named after Abraham. And that he was, he was around before there was a law of Moses. He was before that. And Paul teaches in the book of Romans how that Abraham is the one that sets the example for salvation by faith for us. And in the Acts 15 council that they met together, answering these Pharisaic Jews saying, oh, the Gentiles have to be circumcised, they have to keep the law to be saved, Peter, who's the apostle to the Jews, is the one who stood up and recounted that event in Acts chapter 10 about going to the house of Cornelius. These Gentiles accepted the Lord and it had nothing to do with circumcision, it had nothing to do with keeping the law. And Peter had to have a vision from God to explain to him, you will not treat the Gentiles as being unclean. And he was the first used by God to share the faith with the Gentiles after the Messiah. And here's Paul with many Gentile believers, they've come to the same thing. The apostle James weighs in on this thing, renders the final judgment, 
And he says that we should not be troubling these Gentiles coming to faith about they have to keep the law to be saved. They're all saved by faith, just like the rest of us are. But then they said, but there's still some key issues that about the law that every believer has to follow. And he basically begins to explain they've got to keep the law. You see, let me explain it to you this way. Salvation is by faith, all right? So you receive the Lord by faith. You believe his promises. He's made a promise to forgive your sins, give you the gift of eternal life. You believe that, you trust him, you receive his wonderful gift. But now how are you to be faithful from that point forward? Scripture's emphatic, stated multiple times. For you to be faithful, you have to obey the Lord. After you accept the Lord, if you decide not to obey the Lord, then you are not considered to be faithful. If you're full of faith, you're paying attention to what the Lord says, you're doing what he has said, you're following his commandments. And this business of this theology that we have in the Christian world about, well, we have a different set of commandments. I have news for you. And in fact, in the last program I shared with you, you know what you should did right after he said, think not that I came to abolish the law and the prophets I came to fulfill. You know what he did right after that? He started teaching the Torah. And there in Matthew chapter 5, I, he starts citing specific commandments and starts teaching the commandments of the Lord. One of the foremost teachings that Moses gave about the law, Yeshua taught about the law, the prophets taught about the law, that the Pharisaic and Sadducean Jews did not teach about the law was that the keeping of commandments originates from the heart. That when you decide to violate the commandment, do not murder, as you taught, he's saying, but if in your heart you hate the person, you're already guilty of the commandment because sin originates in the heart. And essentially, that's what Moses had taught. In fact, God specifically said to Moses, oh, if the people only had a heart to obey me. And those that teach Moses correctly, like the Messiah did, are going to teach you that obeying and disobeying all originate from the heart. Yeshua came, are you ready for this? to write the commandments of the law on our hearts so that we would learn to obey from the heart. You, you have to have an intention toward God. Uh, he continues there in Matthew chapter 5, as I went through, and I went through a series of the commandments. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, he said. That little phrase, you have heard it said, what he's referring to is the previous teaching by the religious leaders in Israel. How did they teach that commandment? They taught it, but they taught it with error. They put other things on it. They, in fact, they, the, the way they explain it is, is we have built a hedge around the Torah. It's called the oral law, these additional commandments. They put a, a fence around the Torah. So the idea is that if you don't violate these things out here, then you really won't violate the Torah. And they, they, they added do's and don'ts to the commandments to the point that when Yeshua came and spoke with them, he said to them, 
you prefer the traditions of the elders to the commandments of God. You've completely dismissed the commandments of God because of your traditions. You prefer the precepts of men to the commandments of God. He was saying their teaching had essentially nullified what God had said through Moses and the law. The idea that Yeshua came to teach something different from Moses and the prophets is absolutely 100% false. What he did come is he came and he taught the law of Moses and the prophets different from what the religious leaders were teaching. But he was teaching what Moses had really said. The greatest prophecy of the Messiah given in the scriptures is this verse, the Torah shall go forth out of Zion, the word of the Lord out of Jerusalem. That passage of Scripture is a prophecy about how great the Messiah is going to be. You see, the Messiah is going to be the greatest teacher of the law of Moses, even better than Moses. And he will teach his commandments to the whole world so that the whole world will obey the Lord. That is what one of the purposes of the Messiah is, to teach the law of Moses, to teach the Torah. Whether you realize it or not, every time a Christian says to a Jewish person that Yeshua didn't come to teach the law, he came to do away with any part of it, you just gave my Jewish brethren the proof that Yeshua of Nazareth is not the Messiah. And I would really like my Christian brethren to stop telling my Jewish brethren that Yeshua came to do that. Because you're now misrepresenting Yeshua, the Messiah, and you are sowing confusion and discord amongst my Jewish brethren so they can't hear the gospel clearly. (laughs) Messianics our believing brethren who suddenly come to terms with, wait a minute, you know, you mean the Messiah taught the law of Moses and I need to learn about these commandments and if I'm going to be faithful, as the apostle said, I need to learn to keep these commandments. You need to be instructed in the commandments and that's what Yeshua came doing in Matthew chapter 5. He was teaching the law and teaching how it's to be obeyed. With that incredible half of my program introduction, let me continue on with what some of the teaching that Yeshua taught in Matthew chapter 5. Let me begin at verse 43. You have heard that it said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thy enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for them that persecute you, that you may be the sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he maketh his son to rise on the evil and the good, and sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love them that love you, what reward have you? Do not even sinners do the same? And if you salute your brethren only, what do you do more with the others? Do not even the Gentiles do this amongst themselves? You therefore should be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. The law of the Lord is perfect, forever settled in heaven. If you want to be perfect, as the Messiah said, and the word perfect here means spiritually mature. It means you are, you are doing what you're supposed to be doing before God. 
then you're going to be focused on the law of the Lord. You're going to be focused on everything he said and instructed, and you're going to follow that. And oh, by the way, one of the core instructions we get in the Torah from the very beginning is that God created everyone that's in this world. And God's goal is for the whole world to know him. It's not just so that Israel would know him or the church would know him. It's that all peoples, tribes, tongues, all nations would come to know the Lord. Why did he commission Israel at all? To be a light to the nations. Why did he have Abraham? Why did he start with his family? So he could build a nation that could be a light to the nations. Everything that God's been doing, the goal is for the whole world. But here's what happens to religious men. You hear this definition, you shall love your neighbor. Well, guess what a religious man does? He limits the definition of the word neighbor. And the Jews have done this. And the religious leaders in, in Yeshua's day did this. They limited this, this commandment about love your neighbor to strictly about other Jews. Let me tell you how far they took this thing. In the temple that was after the pattern that Moses had done, they added something to the temple that Moses never instructed to do, God never instructed to do. They built what was called a middle wall of partition in the temple. There was another little wall that was put around the temple, and they had a little sign on it that says, no Gentile can go past this point. No Gentile can go past this on threat of death, that this area in the temple is strictly for the Jews, and you Gentiles have to stay outside. That was never set up by the Lord. That was never the intention of God. His house, according to the Messiah, was before the nations of the world to come and worship the Lord. And the proper way that was set up by Moses was you as a Gentile, you could bring your sacrifice to before the Lord the same way a native-born could, and the priest would assist you in presenting your sacrifice just like the native-born. I always remind everybody that when Israel came out of Egypt, it was a mixed multitude. There were native there, born of Jacob, descendants of Jacob. There was aliens. There were other people, and there were strangers. They weren't part of the physical, biological descendancy from Jacob. They were from other nations. They were Egyptians. They were slaves that Egypt had taken from other nations. They were a mixed multitude. That is the assembly that came out of Egypt that was the call out assembly. When Israel was first born as a nation, it had a mixed multitude in it, and that was God's intent all along. So we get to, in the land of Israel, we're not obeying the Lord. And the next thing you know, we've got this select group of Jews that are down there in Jerusalem, and they decide, hey, everything about the faith is just about us. And yes, there's this commandment, we should love our neighbor. But they think it's just about them. They don't consider other people to be their neighbor. It's so pervasive that Peter had to have that vision in Acts chapter 10 just so he could go to a Gentile house and share the faith. 
And in Romans 1.16, you have Paul emphatically saying that the gospel is to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And he was called the apostle to the Gentiles, trying to get the message out that this is what God's definition of it is. So here's Yeshua saying, hey guys, the commandment, love your neighbor, is all people. That's completely different than what the religious leaders have been teaching. Even the apostles were, were persuaded by this, and they themselves had to be instructed in this. So what do we have today? Well, we got church people being exclusive of other people. We still got the Jews being exclusive of the Jews. We're all a bunch of bigots. You know, we, we exclude people. That's not what God commanded when he said, love your neighbor as yourself. A pretty powerful commandment in the law, by the way. It's right up there with the greatest commandment, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and might. And Yeshua said these two commandments, loving God and loving your neighbor, on this the whole law hangs. That's a pretty important commandment, it turns out. And here's Yeshua teaching law the way it's supposed to be taught. Uh, let me move a little bit further in the book of Matthew, where we're going to see some more stuff that Yeshua had to say in teaching the law. Matthew chapter 7, beginning of verse 12, it says this, All things, therefore, whatsoever ye would that men would do unto you, even so do ye unto them. This is the golden rule. Whatever you want men to do to you, you do to them. In other words, be generous to them so they'll be generous to you. Do good to them so they'll do good to you. A very positive way of stating it. And then he says this, for this is the law and the prophets. Yeshua's teaching the law and the prophets. Does it sound like he's teaching get away with the law? No, no, the law, it doesn't apply to us anymore. The commandments don't apply to us. He says one of the most base understanding of the commandments when it comes to dealing with other people, why don't you do good unto another as you would have them do good unto you? You know what the Judaism version of this teaching is? The reason why Yeshua said it this way? Let me repeat to you the tenet of Judaism of don't do to others what you don't want them to do to you. I mean, it's the same principle, but it's negative. It's, there, there's no instruction that you're to do good. It's just don't do bad is what Judaism teaches. But Yeshua said, no, he flipped it. And he said, no, I want you to do good to one another. Do good to them as you would have them do good unto you. And in the faith, we learn one of the things we're to do when we're doing our faith is being generous with other people, being kind to other people. Do good to them. That's what Yeshua was teaching. You know what Yeshua said? This is the law and the prophets. This is what the law and the prophets do. By the way, I, I am a Torah teacher. I've been a Torah teacher for more than 30 years. I can assure you that what Yeshua is saying, that this is the law and the prophets, I can assure you that's exactly what Moses and the prophets teach, exactly as he said. I can show you many instances of it. Where did we get the idea that the golden rule was a New Testament idea and wasn't what was taught by Moses? Where, where did we get that idea? Because that's where the average Christian is at. 
The average Christian thinks that Yeshua came along and he just taught something that replaced the law. He didn't replace the law. He was teaching the law, teaching what it says. Let me go a little bit further. Verse 13. Enter you into the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many there are that enter thereby. For narrow is the gate and straight is the way that leadeth unto life, and few are they that find it. <clears throat> well, that's a nice little metaphor. I wonder what he's referring to. He's referring to the pattern of the tabernacle that was given to Moses that was set up so that men could come to know the Lord. If you want to come before God, his altar for sacrifice, to worship him, to be intimate with him, there is a straight and narrow way that goes right into the tabernacle. All the other directions go away from that and they go wide <clears throat> to destruction and death. The path to life is to go straight and narrow into the place that God has defined. Many of you Christians don't know this, but when Jerusalem, the city, was built, and they built the temple up on the Temple Mount, just to the east, there's a valley that dips down there called the Valley of Kidron, and across that valley is the Mount of Olives. And there's an eastern gate called the Golden Gate, and that gate on the east wall is the one that goes directly straight into the temple, straight through all the different gates, right into the sanctuary. It's the straight path. There was a bridge that was built from the Temple Mount across the Kidron Valley over to the Mount of Olives. And it was called the Priestly Bridge in the ancient times. And it was a very narrow bridge. When Yeshua was giving this teaching that we're talking about straight and narrow is the way, we know he was standing on the Mount of Olives. We know that he looked out with the disciples and he looked right at that bridge that was going straight through the, the golden gate of Jerusalem, right into the gate to the temple, right into the sanctuary. And he said, straight and narrow is the way to life. But the other way, the wide and open area is to destruction. It turns out that if you go down the slope of the Kidron Valley, okay, there in Jerusalem, and you're not on that bridge. It slopes around to the left, around the old city, to a very low place called Gehenna. Gehenna is the Hebrew word for hell. He was saying that look, look at the terrain. If you're on the straight and narrow way that goes into the temple, that, that's the way to life. But if you go the wide way, you go not on that narrow way, it, everything leads you down to hell. And so he's giving him a lesson. He's actually teaching the wisdom, the understanding of the tabernacle design, the pattern of the tabernacle, and how the temple in Jerusalem has been set up according to that pattern, and what it means. Did you know that there's a big section of the law that just is explaining the tabernacle in the wilderness. In fact, the second half of the book of Exodus. 
And, you know, you read through that and you go, well, what, you know, that's a great Sunday school story, but what in the world would I need to know about that? Why do, why do I need to know what happens in the temple? Why would I need to know about the altar service and sacrifices and the laver and the first sanctuary and the menorah and the, the, temple, the table of showbread and the golden altar and the ark of the covenant? Why, why do I need to know all that? I'm, I'm in the faith. I'm a, I'm, I'm a Christian. Why do I need to study any of that? What? Except that you've forgotten one thing. Yeshua said, as the Messiah, that he was going to rebuild the temple in three days. And he was going to build it in our hearts. When you want to worship God as a Christian believer intimately, guess what you have to follow? You have to follow the pattern of the tabernacle and the temple in Jerusalem. You have to go through all the steps associated with it to ascending levels of intimacy with God. Now, if you ignore all of that, you don't understand what Yeshua is teaching here. You ignore the tabernacle instruction, the temple understanding how it worked, and then you don't pay attention to what Yeshua is teaching here about that. Well, then guess what? You're going to be on the wide way going down to Gehenna, you will not be on the path that he's on. That's what he said there in Matthew 7, 12 through 14. Move with me a little bit further in the chapter. Matthew 7, verse 21, what did he say there? Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but the he that does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Well, that's a kind of a shocker. Not everyone who calls me Lord will be entering the kingdom of heaven. Yeah, he says there's some people walking around referring to him as the Lord, convincing all of their neighbors and their fellow believers that they're a believer just like them. We're all talking about the Lord together. And some are not going to make it to the kingdom of heaven because why? because they didn't do the will of Yeshua's Father. What is the will of Yeshua's Father? It's called the law of Moses. That's when God, from the mountain, said, this is what I want you to do. And he gave instruction. And in fact, gave to Moses the whole Torah, all the commandments of the Lord. This is the will of the Father. Yeshua came to carry out the will of the Father. And he's trying to point out that if you, for example, say, well, I know the Lord and I don't have to do anything else. I'm, you know, <laughs> I'm good. It's not going to work. He goes a little bit further to explain it to this way. Verse 22, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we not do many mighty works and miracles in your name? You know what? That sounds like a pretty powerful evangelical church to me. Certainly one of those Pentecostal Assembly of God churches, you know, with heavy emphasis on the spiritual gifts and things like that. He says, even from that assembly... If they're not doing the will of his father, 
they will not be entering the kingdom of heaven. And here's the reason why he says it, verse 23, and then I will confess to them, I'll profess to them, I never knew you. I never had a relationship with you. Depart from me, you who are lawless. You who violate the commandments of the Lord incessantly, saying you don't have to follow the commandments of the Lord. I don't know you. Now, Yeshua has come to do the wonderful work of redemption for us. And we want to have a relationship with him. So he gives us the promise of life and forgiveness, and we, we accept it. Amen and amen. Praise God. But how do we walk now? If we're going to be faithful before God, we're going to do so by keeping his commandments. That's the definition about being a faithful believer. And he's talking about there's some people that are going to be in the assembly calling themselves believers who are not faithful. And he's going to say, I don't really know you. The scripture says, the New Testament says, if you say you love God, you must keep his commandments. This is how we show that we love God, is by keeping his commandments. Now, we all agree we're supposed to keep the commandments. We all agree on that. But then the question is, well, which commandments should we keep? Shall we keep the commandments of men, or shall we keep the commandments that God gave? That's really what it comes down to. Did Yeshua come to keep the law? You know, the measure of a, a sinful person is whether or not you transgress the commandments. Sin is the transgression of the law. That's what the New Testament says. If you're a sinner, then it means you're transgressing the law. So how is it that we claim to be righteous by ignoring the law? That's not in the Bible. That's a religious man's instruction. That's the precepts of men today. I've said this statement uh, many times before that <clears throat> if Yeshua were to come back today and walk into one of our assemblies, you know, where we're at, he probably would be making the same teachings and the same statements that he made when he came the first time. And because we have religious leaders today that prefer their precepts of teaching to the commandments of God. They prefer their Christian traditions to the commandments of God. You should be making the same statements again. At what point are we going to kind of wake up in our faith in the Messiah and realize what did the Messiah really say? Why don't we do what the Messiah said instead of what our pastor says, what our Sunday school teacher says, and what some theologians that go to cemetery say? When are we going to pay attention to what the Lord has said? If you want a relationship with the Lord, why would you go through a man? Why don't you just... Get a, listen to what the Lord has and says. That's how you build a relationship. If you want to have a relationship with me, Monty, you're not going to go talk to other people about me. You're not going to have a relationship with me. You might hear some good things, bad things, whatever, but you're not having a relationship with me. I don't know you. But if you want to get to know me, 
Come talk to me. I'll talk to you. Same thing with the Lord. Listen to what the Lord has said. And I, I have news for you. What you're going to hear Yeshua saying to you is, obey the commandments of my Father. Do the will of my Father. Be part of this family that we're establishing. You know, the one where Abraham is your father. Be part of the kingdom. Be part of the commonwealth of Israel that he's established. Be part of the world that he wants to be the king of. Be part of that, not something else. I'll, I'll share this with you just for a moment and tell you that when people come up and ask me about what I believe, I don't rattle off and say, well, I'm a Messianic believer or Baptist, Presbyterian, Catholic. Blah. I, don't, I don't give that answer. I say, you're asking me what I believe? Yeah, yeah, what's your faith? What, what do you believe? I said, I believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I believe in the God of Moses and the prophets. I believe in the God of Yeshua, the Messiah. I believe in the God of the apostles that the Messiah called for. That's who I believe in. I don't believe in a what. I believe in a who, a person. That's who I trust. See this table right here? I don't believe in this table. I use it, but I don't believe in it. I might trust it a little bit when I put my weight on it, but I really reserve most of that stuff about what I believe to people and to persons and to God. And I would suggest to you that that's what Yeshua the Messiah came teaching. Stop being religious and start believing in the Lord is really what he came saying. Let's go a step further. The book of Matthew, chapter 12, I want to point out verse 8 to you. This is how Yeshua taught the law. You know that commandment about Sabbath? You know the fourth commandment that's in the Ten Commandments? You know what Yeshua said? Matthew 12, verse 8, For the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Yeshua said, the Sabbath belongs to me. It's my Sabbath. Have you ever heard the person who says, well, you only have to keep one day a week. You don't have to keep it on Saturday. You know, any I can make Sabbath any day. Yes, you can. You can make any day of the week you want to be a rest day for you. You can. But if we're talking about the Sabbath that's in the Bible, we're talking about the one that belongs to Yeshua of Nazareth. And his is on the seventh day of the week. As always has been, always will be. He's the Lord of that Sabbath. Now, here, here's the problem. You can go ahead and say, well, I'm going to treat Sunday as a Sabbath. Wonderful. I'm going to treat Monday as a Sabbath. Wonderful. But if you say Saturday is not the Sabbath, now you're saying something contrary to what God said. And God gets very upset with us when we deny what he has said. He said the Sabbath is holy. When you decide the Sabbath is not holy, you're going to make some other day holy. That's the sin called blasphemy. That's out the straight out of the mouth of God. You want to take your chances on that? You, you think you got a theological argument that you can lay before the Messiah on this to explain your position instead of listening to what he said? Let's go a little bit further. 
Matthew chapter 13. Beginning at verse 51, Yeshua has been teaching. He's taught extensively about the law. Now he's also teaching parables. He's trying to exhort us into understanding the kingdom of God. He's trying to exhort us to understand what God is doing. And Matthew chapter 13 is what we call the parable chapter. There's a whole series of parables he taught. At the conclusion of teaching those parables, he does this. He goes to the disciples, verse 51, and he says, have you understood all these things? He's asking the disciples, do you understand these parables I've been teaching about the kingdom and how it all worked? They said to him, yes. Now, I want you to listen to what Yeshua says immediately thereafter. This is very intriguing what he says. Verse 52, and he said to them, Therefore, every scribe who has become a disciple of the kingdom of heaven is like a man that is a householder who brings forth out of his treasure things new and old. What? If a scribe becomes a disciple of the king, if a scribe starts to believe in me, he will become, are you ready for this? The head of of the house, bringing forth treasures of new and old. Wow. You know what he just said? If you can get a person who knows what the law of Moses says, by the way, a scribe is the guy who copies the commandments. He writes them out for others to have the benefit of them. He's a scribe. He copies the law of Moses, so that others may know it. If you can get one of those guys who's done that, who becomes a believer of me, let me tell you what he'll be like. He will like rise above the brethren and become like the head of the household. He'll become the leader of the house, and he'll be sharing with you treasures of old and new, treasures from the house of God. And by the way, when you get a person who really knows what the Torah says and he becomes a believer of Yeshua, he will show you things in the Scripture that you Christians have never seen before. In fact, it's kind of interesting. One of the things that he'll show you, for example, is, you know that little Christian symbol about the fish? You know, we have that little fish symbol that we go around. And I, I know you Christians have had some kind of an interesting explanation about that. Ichthus and it has to do with some kind of an acronym concerning Jesus from the Greek. No, that's not what it is. It's actually the Aramaic letter for the letter, Hebrew letter noon is really what it is, the Hebrew letter noon. You see, it turns out that in the scripture, in the Torah that's copied by the scribes, there's a place in the Torah where they take that letter noon and they draw it backwards. It's a scribal mark. They draw it backwards. It's in, in the book of, of Numbers, chapter 10, last two verses. There's one of those drawn in front of verse 34, and there's one after verse 35. And the fish symbol is what the letter noon is all about. So in the Aramaic, they just draw a little symbol like a fish, but it's really the letter noon in Hebrew. And the letter noon has a particular teaching in the Hebrew. It's called the quickening of life. And it's the picture of you go out to a lake and suddenly a fish 
is out in the lake and it splashes. I don't know about you guys, but I always do this. I go to the lake, there's a splash in the fish, and I always get excited. And I say, oh, there's a, there's a fish in the lake. And look, there's a fish. Of course there's fish in the lake, Monty. The, the thing is full of fish. Why are you getting all excited because one of them splashed? Well, it, it's that moment we call the quickening of life where we take note. When you draw the letter backwards, what does it mean? It means the quickening of life from the dead. It means the resurrection. That fish symbol that all of the new Christians used to carry around, the biggest thing that was happening to them was the resurrection of Yeshua. They would, they would use that as a signal amongst the believers. Oh, I'm, I believe in the resurrection of Yeshua. You believe in the resurrection of Yeshua. We're, we're believers and so forth. That's what that symbol means. Did you know that comes from the law? That comes from the law of Moses. Did you know that a Torah teacher, that scribe, would tell you about that? Those two verses that that thing is in the front of and the back of, there's more wisdom in those two verses than there is in the entire book of Genesis, the entire book of Exodus, the entire book of Leviticus, the entire book of Deuteronomy. Wow, what do those verses say? Those two verses. The first one is, Arise, O Lord, and let your enemies be scattered. That's the prophecy of the Messiah coming out of the grave, defeating death and defeating his enemies. The second one is, Return, O Lord, to the myriads of Israel's families. He's talking about our resurrection when the Messiah returns to the earth and we are resurrected. Did you know that in a synagogue, the Jews do this every Sabbath, when they open up the ark to bring the Torah scroll out, they can't, that first verse, Arise, O Lord, and let your enemies be scattered. They show the picture of the Messiah coming out of the grave. And when they put it away, they talk about him returning to our benefit. I agree with them. The wisdom in those two verses is, is equal to all the other books. I agree, because that's what you and I, our whole faith is based on. Did Yeshua come up out of the grave and prove that he has eternal life? And oh, by the way, do we get to have eternal life when he returns? All the other subjects are important, but they're not more important than that one. You see, that's what Yeshua was saying. If you can get one of those guys that copies the Torah and get him to believe in me, he's going to show you things in here in the house of God that are like treasures of old and new things. And who of us don't like to have the treasures of the house and enjoy them? Well, part of that is, is what that's all about. By the way, that's only one of 23 other instances in which we have scribal marks in the law. And most of you are not aware of the fact that Paul, who was a great Torah scholar, taught a lot of these jots and tittles all through the New Testament in his letters. You didn't realize it. You thought Paul's taught on something. No, he was talking the deep things of the Torah, deep Torah concepts. <clears throat> Only men who've committed themselves to the study of the Torah know about. 
and Yeshua is encouraging his apostles, you need to learn the Torah as well as a scribe knows them. Then you'll be in a position to teach as I've taught the parables. Isn't that fascinating? That is Yeshua telling his apostles, his disciples, you need to get into deep study about the Torah. You need to find out about the law of Moses and what the prophets said. If you want to rise to the level in my house, of a leader in my house, this is what you have to do. We have a lot of people who go off to Bible college and seminary. <clears throat> they take a class called Old Testament Survey. That's as close as they ever get to finding out what the law of Moses is. Wow. No wonder we have so many struggles. No wonder people don't understand. We don't have teachers that understand. We have to go back to listening to what the Messiah said, and we have to go back to listening to what the apostles said. And what they said was that when Yeshua came, he did not come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill it. And we need to find out what the word fulfill really means. And it doesn't mean annul any of the commandments, and it doesn't mean push it back, and we don't pay attention to that stuff anymore. Now, in the next couple of programs, I'm going to take you into even further things, particularly religious instruction that's given to us and about how Yeshua and the, and the apostles have taught differently for us. The messianic teaching, which is different from the Christian teaching that you may have received that comes from the Bible. So until then, Shabbat Shalom to all of you, and I trust that you'll be start talking to the Lord and see what he has to say to you in your life. Amen. Thank you everyone who listens to our podcast here at Line of Land Ministries. I want to remind you, you can get our podcast through Apple Podcasts, through Spotify, and wherever you like to download your podcast. Thank you for being a part of our program and listening to what we have to say.